0: Lord, that you are the risen Savior, that you are the risen King. And God, this morning as we gather together, Lord, we pray that our time would be one that brings you honor and glory. Lord, we recognize that this is a a, a celebration for, for many and hopefully for all, but we know that sometimes even just showing up is a battle. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would calm hearts that you would um, that you'd be a balm to our weary souls, and Lord, that today would be a day that we celebrate that you, Jesus, our risen King, is alive. It is in you that we pray, that we hope, and that we trust, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work, we are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And that means that here at Mercy Fellowship, we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people. And a big part of how we do that typically is preaching right through books of the Bible. And so this is Easter Sunday, where we kind of been in a series where we're just trying to reset our minds uh, away from the things of this world that are discouraging, that are distracting, that, 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 are, that are, are, are harming our souls and reorienting ourselves towards what is true. And so uh, for Christians, and I don't pretend that everyone that, uh, here is one, but for Christians, we call this week Holy Week. And, and it's a week where we recognize that Jesus Christ, um, uh, the, the man uh, who is God, who, who uh, came into Jerusalem uh, at the beginning of this, this week, remembering uh, his kind of last week of earthly ministry leading up to the cross, that, that he came in last week when we looked at Palm Sunday As he entered into Jerusalem, everybody had expectations for who Jesus was and what he was gonna do. And Jesus says, well, no, I'm gonna reset expectations not for how you think I'm gonna bring you victory, but rather how I'm going to actually accomplish peace through defeat on the cross and then bring victory through resurrection. And so during that week, Jesus was preaching and teaching in the temple. Uh, on Wednesday, uh, one of his disciples, Judas, uh, had actually uh, had in his heart to, to betray Jesus, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, and then on, on what we call Monday, Thursday, uh, as, as God's people gathered in Jerusalem and they're all celebrating this Passover meal that was signifying God removing them from slavery in Egypt, carrying them into wilderness and ultimately into a promised land. Jesus says, no, I've got a new meal for you. I've got a new covenant, a new promise for you and it's going to be with my body broken and my blood shed. And so he took bread and he took a cup of wine and he said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And and then that night, um, Jesus was uh, arrested he was falsely accused uh, of, of sedition and some other things. Uh, but the, the big charge that they actually tried to level against him was that, you say you're the son of God. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's who I am. And that led to, not a, not a, a tragedy, it was painful, it was awful, yes, but, but it led to Good Friday, which was not some sort of accident. It wasn't like, oh no, some great teacher got martyred through like a misunderstanding. Like, no, no, man meant it for evil, but the Bible says God meant it for good. And we call Good Friday good because Jesus Christ is on the cross suffering for our sin that that we deserve to suffer for. So we say Good Friday is good because Jesus is on the cross and we're not. And then that led to Saturday where Jesus was dead and buried, and the only things that we have in the Bible to tell us about what happened at that point was that, that the religious people in the government were conspiring together to just make sure that Jesus that Jesus, like, actually stays in uh, the tomb. And so they wanted hope to be buried. They said, hey, we don't want there to be anything that could give anyone hope that Jesus is actually the Savior King of God's people. And, and maybe some of you guys are coming in today on a Saturday. You're coming in in a place where hope seems dead. You're coming in a place where like I'm disoriented. I don't know what's going on in my life. I don't know what's going on in this country for sure. Uh, I don't know what's going on in our community or our family. Like I don't know what it is for you where it seems like hope is buried, hope is lost, evil is winning. But that brings us to Sunday. Like this is Resurrection Sunday. There's a reason that we open our service by saying, he is risen, and everybody responded. He is risen. Well done, Curtis, you coach these guys up good to start the service. Like, and some of you haven't been to church for a while, and you're like, is there this call and repeat thing every year? No, we just do it on Easter. Don't worry, right? We try to keep, in fact, I only wear a tie twice a year, and one of those is Christmas, and this is the other one. So um, I, I haven't even tucked my shirt in. I didn't even know if it would. I didn't know that was a thing. So. You know, some of y'all are dressed up, thought this is how you had to come in today. We're just, we're just glad you're here. We're glad that you would gather with us today. So today, what we're gonna look at is we're gonna see that we have a lot to celebrate. That in Jesus Christ, we actually have a risen hope. And so, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, if you have an app, that's great too. It'll be up on the screen. We also, if you don't have a Bible, we've got tons and tons of free Bibles. So make sure you grab one today uh, on your way out if you don't have one. So, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is this is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to a church that's in a very pluralistic society. Uh, this is a uh, this is a, a Roman colony, uh, if you will, out in Corinth. Um, sexually promiscuous, politically crazy. The church itself had gotten a little wonky, uh, and he's writing them this letter to kind of reset, realign, like like reengage their eyes on where and who it belongs on. And he says this in 1 Corinthians. I'm gonna do we're going to 15, 1 through 11. I'm gonna break up into three different sections. Well, I'll read each one, we'll talk about it. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2, says this. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you unless you believed in vain. So I I say this regularly, but but today, if you haven't been at church for a while, and you're wondering like, is there like a 2.0 version? Have they updated it at all? Like what's going on? Is there anything new or different? Like I don't have any fresh take for you on the Easter story of the resurrection of Jesus. Like what we do each year in celebrating Resurrection Sunday is not trying to come up with something new, but being reminded what we as Christians believe as true. And so Paul's saying this to the same church, now I remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel. And the reason we need this reminding is because there's so much going on in our world and in our own souls that is distracting, that is discouraging, There are lies in the world that deceive us towards that which is not true, that which is not life-giving. And so we start to search for answers. We want comfort, we want rest for our souls because I think all of us can agree that there's just moments where we just, we wake up and we're just like, I don't want things to be this way. Like what, what is wrong? How is it gonna get fixed? How is it gonna get better? And so here to have hope remembered is to have a hope that we've already received. Except Paul's, Paul's told the good news of the gospel to these people. That the gospel actually does mean good news. So that's in stark contrast to what we get every day. Like I don't know what your morning routine is, but like when I wake up, um, I, I, like a lot of people probably uh, in, in our generation, Like, I probably grab my phone before just about anything else And at some point, I start scrolling, and at no point in in my scrolling have I ever been like, my soul feels refreshed. I feel ready to take on the day. And even like, so you know, I'm like, okay, no, I reset, I get a cup of coffee, sit down, read my Bible, uh, and then I kind of go about the rest of my day. And then I might get a text from my wife who says, have you heard the news and it's never like, have you heard the news that, like, nobody has mortgages anymore? Like, like, it's all forgiven? Like, no, it's never that. It's always like, have you heard the news? Like, do you know what's going on over there? Do you hear what's going on in this school over here? Do you hear what happened in this town? Do you hear this trade? Like, like, I mean, my wife brings me good news too, but like, like, like at no point, like, usually when you hear news, it ain't good. And so the gospel, the word means Good news that something has actually happened, that that we're responding to something that has actually happened in history. He's saying, hey, you've heard this news, you you are standing in this good news, you believe this good news, and so, like, uh, I'm just gonna give you a couple minute recap on what that good news is. See, we believe the gospel is the plot, is the narrative of the Bible. The Bible encapsulates the fullness of the gospel, that it begins with God creating everything, and the first verse of the Bible says, in the beginning, God created everything And then we read he created everything and and the Bible tells us everything was good. Okay, good news. Sounds great. Like, like, it's important for you to know when you come in today that you are not an accident. That your life is not an accident. That your existence is not just because like your dad saw your mom and was like, okay. Like, 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 your existence is purposeful. That every person in the world exists because God has declared it to be so. That the world itself exists because He spoke it into existence. That the reason that there's mountains and sunsets, the reason that ice cream tastes good, the reason that when you when you kill a cow and you smoke it over eight hours, it's just fantastic. Right? All, all God's good gifts to us. And so we have purpose there, but there's a, there's a challenge that, that while our purpose is there to enjoy how awesome God is, to have a relationship with Him, to enjoy His creation, that we know that not everything's good, right? Like most of us, if, if I just asked you, tell me your story, you might get one or two sentences in before something challenging has really happened in your life. There was divorce, there was rejection, there was trauma, there was job loss, right? S- something, right? And that's because we believe that sin entered the world. That it wasn't very long that things were good until an enemy came in, he came in to deceive, he came in to destroy, he he gave a lie that we still believe today, you will do a better job being God than God will. So why don't you just take the reins? Why don't you just get on that throne? Why don't you just get behind that wheel? And you can be in charge of everything. And it rejected the God who made us. It rejected communion with the God who's life-giving. And we believe that sin is like a virus that infects and affects every aspect of creation. That's why you got things like earthquakes and storms and all sorts of horrible things. But but sin actually has a very individual implication for every person that's ever existed. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned. Miss the mark. All have sinned. I think intrinsically we know that. I'm not saying you're the most terrible person in the world. I I mean, I I know myself, I'm not not that that great. But but I think all of us need to be in a place of of initial humility to say, we've all sinned, and Romans 3.23 says, fallen short of the glory of God. And so God answers that. God's not satisfied to say, rebellion's done, I'm just gonna squash them. Like, like, like that's what's going on. No, our God loves us, our God pursues us, and so very early on the, in the Bible, God makes a series of promises that he ratifies over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament saying, a savior king of my people is gonna come. One is going to come who's going to crush the head of the serpent. One is going to come who's going to conquer sin and death. One is going to come who, like where where creation started in a garden, one is going to come who's going to restore all things eventually into a forever city. We believe that's Jesus. We believe that Jesus Christ is not just a good teacher he's not just a healer, that he's not just a religious leader or a prophet. We believe that Jesus Christ is the promised savior king of God's people. That the whole world has been crying out for, that it has needed, because while generations of God's people, they they wanna hear words from God saying that you're gonna save, saying, God, that you're gonna restore. And then Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, he proclaims the kingdom of God. He says, hey, you're going down a path of sin that leads to destruction. All of Jesus' sermons, super simple. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn from sin, follow me, quit being a rebel, quit being an orphan, come be a citizen, come be an adopted member of a forever family. That's the offer that Jesus makes. And in that, he's calling us to greater life, to flourishing life. And yet Jesus, he lives the perfect, sinless life that none of us have lived. He, as we said on Good Friday, died on the cross for our sins. He was the sacrifice in our place, and he rose again. And in this crucifixion, in God paying for our sins with Jesus. It allows God who, if God's good, we want him to be holy, right? We want him to be good and loving. We certainly also want him to be just. God can say, I've met it out and I've poured out my justice on my son Jesus. So that now I can give you grace. I can give you something you don't deserve. I can give you mercy. I can give you new life. Romans 6.23 says it this way, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, that could also mean grace, that free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then we also believe, and, and you can see this towards the end of the Bible, that, that Jesus will return. That Jesus will will renew, he will restore. That after his resurrection, Jesus returned to heaven. He's ruling right now as king. He will return and restore this world to its intended glory and that we'll be reunited with him for eternity. These are all things that Christians believe Do we believe the Bible begins in a garden, that it goes to wilderness, it goes to desert, it it, it goes to to a hill where Jesus is crucified on the cross. It goes into a tomb where it looks like hope is buried, but then Sunday morning happens, resurrection happens, Jesus is alive, he's ascended to heaven, and we're in between Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and in his return, so if you're like, well, hold up. Everything's not great yet. That's because we're not in the final chapter of the story. We're not in the happily ever after where it ends in a new forever city where there's no sin, there's no suffering, there's no disease, there's no cancer. There's no more tears. There's joy and there's life forever. And maybe, maybe you're, you're like, okay, hey, I've, I've heard this. And certainly if, if you're part of Mercy Fellowship and you gather with us regularly, like we regularly try to remind ourselves of what this big story of the Bible is, is we, because if we're gonna dive into a small book or we're gonna look at a text or something like that, we wanna know how it fits into the bigger story. And so maybe you're just kind of like, I don't know, this just kind of feels like, like you're just retreading things over and over. Like, like I, wanted, I wanted a few steps for how to make my life better. Like I wanted to know what can I do today? Well, I wanna tell you this. Christianity is not a religion. Meaning it's not about what you do to please God so that God will be happy with you so then God owes you some sort of blessing. Or it's not what you can do because you've done wrong things to pay for those wrong things so that your balance sheet measures out at the end of your life and and St. Peter says, come on in to the pearly gates. No, Religion says you need to do something to earn God's merit and favor. What we as Christians believe is not religion. We believe the gospel, the good news of what God has already done for you in Jesus Christ to pay for your sin, to resurrect, to give you the hope of life now and life forever. So you're not reliant on your performance or your acceptance, but instead, you're receiving the acceptance of God through Jesus Christ. Oh, and it, it, I mean, to be clear, like, it does, like, lead to a response. Like, your life does look different. Like, you, you do repent of sin, you remember what God has done. And so, what we remember is what Paul preached What we received is a story that ends with us reunited with Jesus, that we can stand and hold firm in the midst of trial, not of like, okay, am I gonna make it through this? But instead, we're like, no, no, Jesus has already made it through it for us on the cross. So that that we we can enjoy his victory of resurrection because he's taken our defeat on the cross. And so, None of that can have any real power in your life, over your life, for the world, if it's not true. So I want to tell you that what Christians believe, what we believe, is not in a legend or a martyr. We believe in the Lord, Messiah, Jesus Christ. See, for us, this isn't a fable. This is fact. This is history. This is what we believe in. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 5, three through seven, he starts to double down on making sure we know what the gospel is. He says this, for I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, that's, that's Peter, then to the 12, that's the disciples, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still asleep. Sorry, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. We'll we'll stop there. In the last few years, we've gone through a whole ton of societal upheaval, political upheaval, cultural upheaval, Some of us have lost friends. Some of us have lost relationships with family members. Some of us lost our jobs or our businesses. So many things can consume us. What in your mind has been of first importance? Um, As a church, we just walked through a series called Preeminence, where it talks about Jesus Christ being first in all things. But what is it for you that's of, of first importance? Where, where, do you, where do you go when, when fear, when anxiety, when doubt creeps in? See, for, for Paul, he's talking to this church that maybe had gotten a little distracted. See, I think for us, there is something to be enraged about every single week, agreed? Right, there's something every week to be upset about, frustrated about, sad about, angry about, and at times, even as, as Christians, we're like, where are the Christians rising up to talk about this issue? Where are Christians over here doing this? And where are the Christians serving and loving uh, people well here? Like, like Paul just says, whoa, 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 hold up. There are lots of things that are important. The big things in the world, they, they're important. The things in your story, where there's divorce, where there's death, where there's disease, like, the things in your story, and those are real those are, those are significant, those are important. But what Paul's saying is, let me remind you what's of first importance. That, that yes, has implications for everything else in our lives uh, for sure, but like, let's get back to what is of first importance. See, Christianity, we've got a lot of good ideas. I wanna be clear, I believe that the morality of the Bible is, is sound and good. The worldview is one that leads to human flourishing. But all of that is meaningless if we're not getting back to what's of first importance right away, and that first importance, he says, is this. That Christ died, he says, according to the scriptures, meaning this was God's plan from all along. That we can't have anything that we call good news of the gospel if it doesn't include our sin, if it doesn't include our need for a savior, if Jesus doesn't die on the cross in our place. See, the gospel doesn't start with bad news, right? We said it starts with it all being good, but it addresses the bad news in our world, in our lives, and for sure in our hearts and in our souls. So, it's only good news if we know that Jesus died and is being punished so that we would not be. And what's even amazing, right, is, I want you to know, like, it says Christ died for our sins according to our scripture. What he's saying is, all of your sin, everything that's been done to you that defiles you, everything you've done that harms your soul, that harms the souls of others, that that is the only thing that you contribute to your salvation, that Jesus became our sin and he, he went to the cross and he died for us, that we give Jesus our sin, we say he is our sacrifice, and then Jesus, who's perfect, Jesus who's sinless, Jesus who's the Son of God, He gives us, He gives me, He gives you His righteousness. Meaning He gives you His right standing before God. So whatever sins you've committed, whatever, whatever sins you have in your heart, whatever sins you're you're gonna commit, like know that if your life is and hope and trust is in Jesus, that what God sees when He sees you is not you at your worst. Or even you at your best, He sees Jesus Christ in your place. He says, "That's my Son with whom I'm well pleased." I don't just come up with this idea because I think it sounds good. First Corinthians, uh, sorry Second Corinthians 5:21 says, "For our sake He made Him, meaning Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God." Paul goes on and he says Jesus was buried. The reason Paul says Jesus is buried is because it's a historical confirmation of Jesus' death. He was actually put into the grave of a, of a rich man, that, that a rock was rolled over the tomb. It's not how we think of graves, right? It wasn't like, hey, they dug down six feet and they lowered Jesus down, he had some pallbearers. Like you need to know that this tomb wasn't a, a normal grave. But when they roll a stone over it, it's like a big sarcophagus and, and this big stone is rolled over it. And then on Saturday, Roman soldiers show up and they seal it. So, so, so Jesus' death and, ba- dead and buried is Jesus in a vault. Hope in a vault. Life in a, in a vault that, that cannot come out on its own. And so there's this feeling of hopelessness and finality to it. And then 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, if Christ Jesus had not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. See, Paul's saying, like, hope was so dead, so buried. Like, it wasn't like Jesus, um, you know, just kind of like got hurt on the cross. It wasn't like he just kind of got beat up and he looked like he was dead or he was in a coma. And then after a couple of days, somebody kind of gave him some smelling salts and he perked back up. Somebody dumped a bucket of water on him. It's like, no, Jesus dead, Jesus buried, but also Jesus risen, Christ raised. He said on the third day according to the scriptures that this actually is a miracle of God. That as Christians, we believe in a miraculous God. We believe in a God that can bring resurrection that Jesus has done some amazing things. I mean, hey, he fed 5,000 people, he walked on water, right? He healed people, all these things. That's amazing, that's great. But the greatest demonstration of God's power in Jesus Christ was the resurrection. Because he was dead and buried, and then he was alive and risen. And so we celebrate Easter not just because, hey, there's flowers in bloom, maybe the sun will come out someday. I don't know. Maybe we should go east. Just, just keep going east until the sun rises, right? Like, we don't just celebrate because we're like, oh, look, there's cherry blossoms, meaning new life. No, no. It's not like it was winter, and now it's spring, so let's have a party. It's we believe in a God who is dead and buried, and then a God who resurrected, a God who's alive, that Jesus actually calls, like, he calls his shot, Jesus in Matthew 20, 18, before he says, hey guys, we're gonna go to Jerusalem. He's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be betrayed, the chief priests and, the, uh, and the, the lawyers and all the religious people. They're gonna condemn me. They're gonna put me to death. They're gonna, they're gonna turn me over to the, to the evil, wicked Romans. I'm gonna be mocked, flogged, and crucified. And then Jesus says, on the third day, I'll be raised to life. Okay, Jesus can't be a great teacher if he says things like, I'm going to be betrayed and murdered and died, but don't worry, I'm going to resurrect. And then doesn't. I'd kind of be like, I don't know, I feel like that's misinformation. Like, is, is, is Elon Musk going to like, like, he's going to put the little, little uh, thing on there, like, claim needs more context. Right? Like, no, he'd be an idiot. Like, like I just don't want to follow that guy anymore. Like, Good Friday is amazing because Jesus is on the cross. But you and I, we should want more than a Good Friday gospel where Jesus is just our sacrifice. I mean, that's huge. I mean, like sacrifice for sin, n- n- not going to eternal death and separation from God, but going to eternal life. Yes and amen. But I don't just want my eternity paid for and ready to go. I want life now. I wanna know that God is living and active now. I wanna know there's hope today. And so yes, Jesus died for our sins, that's fantastic, but Good Friday is not good without Resurrection Sunday. Right? I mean, there's a lot of people who've died sacrificial deaths. There's a lot of martyrs out there and, and great causes but we believe in a God who died for us and then rose again. That the resurrection of Jesus is the pillar uh, uh, that everything on Christianity rests on. It is what we have. It is the fullness of what we believe. You take out the resurrection of Jesus, we've got nothing. Oh, we maybe have a good teacher, but again, he's kind of a lunatic if he's saying he's the son of God and, and isn't really. See, Paul says it this way later in 1 Corinthians 4, 15, 14. If Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, meaning empty, meaningless. And he goes, and your faith is in vain. Like y'all showed up to church on a Sunday and it was gray today. So like when, I went, when my alarm hit, it was still great. I, I just kinda wanted to do that blanket, right? Does Uber Eats bring coffee to your bed yet? Can I just do that, right? Like church is a really, like this isn't mine, but like church is a really lame hobby. There's other things you can do on a Sunday morning. But we believe that Jesus Christ rose again. We believe in a living and active God. If we don't, he says your faith is meaningless. Like, I think what's amazing about the last several years, particularly in our country, is that Christianity has lost any cultural uh, cachet, if you will. Like, you don't get any added benefit. Like, like go, go to work tomorrow. And just like, start telling all your coworkers, hey, by the way, I'm a Christian. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God and died and rose again. I'd like to tell you more. Are you interested? And just be like, oh yeah. Um, We'd like you to talk to HR. Um, And um, there's some training you need to go through, uh, right? Like, you don't get any added bonus points. I mean, particularly here in Western Washington, right? Incredibly pluralistic, incredibly secular. And so Paul's saying, hey, if your faith and hope and trust is in Jesus, then it's not in a a good teacher or a martyr, but it's in the risen Savior. Pastor and theologian Tim Keller says it this way. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. See, if there's no resurrection, then all we have is this life now. And that's very hopeless. Especially when, when like, the the hourglass kind of makes that halfway turn and the sands start going the other direction. Especially when, when uh oh retirement's coming or job loss is coming or cancer's coming or our relationship's not going well. Like if this is all there is, oh man, we start to get very defensive, very self focused. See, that's not good news. But first Corinthians fifteen nineteen says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are people to be most pitied. So he's saying, Hey, Jesus Christ died for you, Jesus Christ rose. And then he says this, oh gosh, I love this. He says Jesus appeared. So hope is risen is a hope that is appeared. I I love that our God's like, hey, um, you might need a little bit more than an empty tomb. Like maybe even today you come in and you're skeptical of the Christian faith or you're you like, really, you believe in a guy that died and rose again? Like that just sounds kind of crazy. Like what evidence do you have? How'd that all work out? Like what Paul is telling this church that might have those exact same questions is he's saying, hey, we have more than just an empty tomb. Because like, hey, maybe there's some grand conspiracy and the disciples like stole the body and hid it, right? Okay. He goes, but Jesus showed up. Hope's not something that's out and distant, or that's just an empty tomb or something that's missing. Hope's not a mystery that hopefully maybe someday will be solved. He says, no, Jesus showed up. And then he starts going through the list of people he showed up to. He says, hey, um," he showed up to Peter, he said Cephas, that's another name for Peter. Peter was Jesus' most bipolar disciple, He's all over the board. He was actually the, one of the biggest failures around that time. And besides, I mean, you know, Judas obviously betrayed, but like Peter's like, Jesus, I'm all in for you. I'm gonna take a sword. Let's go start a rebellion. Let's go storm the temple. Let's go do all that. And, and, and then by the end of the night, Peter's like three different times while Jesus is looking him in the eye, as Jesus is being beaten, as Jesus is being mocked, Peter says, I, I, I don't know that guy. Oh, aren't you one of those Christians? Aren't you one of those Jesus people? <laughs> I'm not one of those Jesus people. No, I don't, no, no, I don't know him. I don't know him. Like, hey, hey, your accent sounds like the Galileans, the people that like, We're in Jerusalem. Y'all sound like country people uh, where Jesus is from. You got that accent. No, 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 no. I don't know him. I don't know him. And Jesus shows up to Peter. And the reason Jesus shows up to Peter is so that Peter knows that even in his greatest failure, I'm here for you, Peter to be your savior. The success on Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday wasn't Peter's faithfulness. It was Jesus' faithfulness despite Peter's faithlessness. And, and then he says he goes to the other 12, and so you're like, okay, like these are kind of other, you know, Jesus' kind of mainline crew, and maybe you're thinking, all right, maybe, maybe the 12 kind of got together. Like I, I could feel like 12 guys could kind of like make something happen. And maybe they just did this so they could establish, you know, a great religion that leads to billions of people around the world worshiping Jesus. And they'll be venerated forever as great heroes. Well, the the problem with that is the disciples themselves. That all of them had like different political opinions, they all had these different backgrounds, They, they, they they were like, every single one of them actually didn't gain favor or flourishing, like like they didn't do big crusades and are like, hey, if you give us $1,000, we'll save your grandma, you know, kind of deal. And like like walking around with gold, you you know, watches and all this stuff, flying on private jets. No, you know what happened to all the first disciples? All of them were systematically martyred, except for one, John. And they're like, we're not gonna kill you We're gonna boil you alive and exile you on a horrible island, a fate worse than death. And to a man, every one of them says, do to me your worst because I've seen Jesus Christ dead and buried. I've seen him resurrected. Um, in uh, uh, you know, this is goes in the Wayback Machine, but there was a president named Nixon at one point. Some of you may have heard of him. I'm seeing some gray hairs here. I know you guys know who he is. Um, and um, and uh, there, you know, there was a kind of a conspiracy that he was a part of called called Watergate. Uh, and his kind of mainline hatchet man, Chuck Colson, um, was the guy that kind of made all this stuff happen. He was like a fixer, you know. He's like a like a main character in House of Cards or Game of Thrones kind of guy and he goes to jail for Watergate, and he becomes a Christian there, because he reads about these 12 disciples who all said the same thing, and he goes, well, we couldn't keep six or eight guys all on the same page with Watergate, and the stakes were really high. I believe what these disciples say, because the fact that not a single one of them broke means that what they were saying was true, and then Peter goes on, or sorry, Paul goes on. He says, hey, he also came to James. Okay, that's amazing. Who's James? James is Jesus' half-brother. And I say um, half-brother, like we don't just believe Jesus died and rose again. We actually believe in the virgin birth. So, right, that's how that works, right? And so James is Jesus' half-brother, and James was not one of the disciples. Like, isn't it weird? Like, James didn't go to Jesus' church. (laughs) He's like, yeah, yeah. I already hung out with him at Thanksgiving. Like, I see him enough. You know, like, yeah, mom's all excited because he turned water into wine once. That's great. Have you seen my cabinets? You know, like, right? I'm always always in Jesus' shadow, right? Well, what, what changed? Like, James was not a believer until the resurrection. See, you might, you might love one of your siblings, right? You might love some of your kids, but you're like, no, none of them are the son of God. The turn for James was Jesus appeared to him resurrected. Okay, brother, you are who you say you are and my life is not gonna be the same. Also martyred. And so I want you to know that Jesus isn't looking for more martyrs, he's here to save sinners. He's here not for you to have your life taken but to give you new life. And even if you come in today as a total opponent, if you're like, no, this isn't my thing, I know that Jesus actually, no, he he is for you. He will meet you where you're at with the greatest opposition in your heart and soul, and he will change your heart from a heart of stone that says, no thank you, to a heart of flesh that says, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. See, I know this because Paul says this here in verse eight to the end as we get ready to close here, it says this, last of all, this is who appeared to Jesus, last of all, As to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to become an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, was not empty. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. See, hope saves unlikely and hostile people. What, what Paul's saying is, he actually grew up a very, very religious guy, not a Christian but very religious, and his religiosity said, no way that Jesus is the Son of God. No, in fact, if you follow Jesus, this isn't like you do you, I'll do me, we'll just go to our separate churches, or what can I do, we'll just be pluralistic, we'll we'll coexist." No, no, no. Paul oversaw the murder of Christians in Jerusalem. Paul was a religious terrorist. Paul had a manifesto saying, I I think I wanna go into another church or school. That's who Paul was. He was Saul, persecutor of Christians. and He was on a path to bring more death, more destruction. He's on his his way to this town called Damascus, and and on that way, he's met by the resurrected Jesus, who says, Paul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's like, what, who who are you? I'm the Lord, and he's humbled, and he's given a new identity. He's given a new name. He goes from Saul to Paul, which means lowly or humble. New identity, new mission, transformation. He says, I'm not gonna pursue an ideology of death any longer. I'm going on a path of life and flourishing now. He goes and he starts preaching this gospel and he starts planting churches and people in the churches start inviting their friends and they start telling more and more people about Jesus and more and more people join the churches and people get baptized where they acknowledge uh, that that them who lives for themselves needs to die and be buried like Jesus was dead and buried. and When they came out of the water, they're acknowledging that, that Jesus Christ is alive and they are risen with him, that they have new identities. And so Paul goes through all of this And we say, this is the heart of the gospel. This is grace that Paul's saying, hey, I was one untimely born. Uh, I mean, uh, you can go do the word study on that. It is an incredibly self-deprecating thing, saying like, "I I was an unplanned child that nobody wanted. But then Jesus, but then Jesus. And he says, I'm not worthy to be a leader. I'm not worthy to preach good news. He's like, but Jesus is worthy. And the response for Paul is, hey, I'm, I want to live this new life. I want to tell as many people about Jesus as possible. And then even as Paul has a relatively successful ministry, he says, I just want everyone to know, I'm not the hero of my story. You're not the hero of your story. Jesus Christ is the hero of all of our stories. So what does the resurrection of Jesus mean for me and for us and for you? How should we respond? See, news is not instructions for a better life. Good news is about an event that happened. It's not news you can turn off or tune out. You can try, but it doesn't change the fact that it happened. So all of us now get to live lives in response to the truth of who Jesus is that Jesus is who he says he is. That the gospel isn't about what you do to save yourself, but what God has done to save you in Jesus Christ. And that means whether you came with a family member or whether you go to church regularly or whether this is your home or, or wherever, like it doesn't matter what your spouse believes or what your parents believe or what your kids believe. That Jesus is calling you to respond to respond to the truth of who he is, to recognize that you are a sinner, that I am a sinner, that we're sinners in need of grace, and that God is so good and loving to us that he gives us mercy and grace in Jesus, that he calls us to turn from sin, to turn from trusting in ourselves, from believing that we are our own heroes, to then reminding ourselves, to to responding that Jesus Christ is our hero that all of our sin has been pardoned and that we've been given a new life now and into eternity, and that leads to a a deep commitment in our lives. And so I don't want to, like, try to lead you to a one-time decision. Like, I mean, you want to grab a a card in front and and say, hey, I prayed today, I'd like to talk to somebody. That's awesome, right? We we love that. That's great. But we're not going to, like, give you a certificate and be like, well, you know, in 2023, you decided check mark." We're not calling you to a one-time decision. We're calling you to a whole new life. A life of surrender, yes, but not surrender leading to, to shame and defeat, but surrender leading to victory and joy and honor, of being brought into a new family, a forever family, brought into a new kingdom, a forever kingdom. And so I just ask you, to maybe think about these verses? to place your faith and hope and trust in Jesus, that in Romans 10, nine and eight says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Like It's, it's that simple, it's that significant. He says, for in the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses. And is saved. My hope is for all of us. Our hope for all of us, for this world, is Jesus Christ. That we would confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord, is our Savior. That we would live a new life full of grace. That we would gather with God's people regularly. That Jesus would change our identity. That we'd know that we're no longer a sinner opposed to God, but you are an adopted son or daughter in his family. And then we gather each week and we remember what he did on the cross with communion. A few minutes here, we're gonna, we have the band up. We're gonna call you, if you're a Christian, to to come forward as you feel led and and take communion. Know that this is a small meal signifying a huge work of Jesus in your life, if that's for you. A few more minutes, we're gonna have some people that are gonna be baptized who are taking that first initial, that next best step to say, yes, my faith and hope is trusted in Jesus. I don't have all the answers. I don't know what the whole next journey uh, has for us, but I know where it ends, and we know where it ends. It ends with Jesus returning and Jesus restoring. That after Jesus' resurrection and he returns to heaven, he's ruling as king, and so all of us can take heart. That Christ the king is over this in any challenge or crisis or circumstances we face. So our greatest hope in life and death is that we are not our own. That we're not even gonna be owned by our circumstances, but we are held in Christ, that he will return, he will restore the world to its intended glory. So we have present life now today, and we have a future hope when we simply trust Jesus. Let's pray. God, you are good to us. God, you are good for us. Lord, I thank you for the good news, Lord, that we have hope and a risen Savior in Jesus. Holy Spirit, I, I don't know everyone's stories today, but you do. I don't know what challenges they faced before they walked in the door. I don't know what's waiting for them when they leave. I don't know what Monday brings for them, but you do. So Holy Spirit, I pray you would move souls today from spiritual death to spiritual life. I pray that there would be people today that believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that they would confess with their mouth that God raised Him from the dead, that they would be saved, that they would know that this act of faith is one that leads them on a new journey, not where they have to worry about their endurance, but they know that they are carried by you all the way to the finish line. God, you are good to us. God, you are good for us. In Jesus' name, amen.